Hey folks, welcome to another episode of New York Sports Incomplete. This is Rex the Rookie. I'm flying solo this week as John the Veteran's uh, busy serving our country. Uh, so, like all episodes, this one is brought to you by Buddy's Barbecue, 516-497-0246. If you live on Long Island, you've got an event coming up, you want some tasty barbecue, no sweat, no work on your part, Buddy shows up with everything, takes care of everything. All you do is pay the bill. Well worth it. Uh, again, that is 516-497-0246. And be sure to tell them the guys at New York Sports Incomplete sent you. Okay, dear listeners, uh, <clears throat> confession time. Last week on the show, I said that uh, a New York team would win in the NFL in week one. And going back and looking at all the dopey things I've said throughout the year, I'm beginning to feel like the Grim Reaper. Uh, the Mets re-signed Ed Edwin Diaz, and he gets hurt in the WBC, and that's the beginning of the crap season the Mets have had. I predict the New York team will win in the NFL on week one, the Giants get absolutely annihilated by Dallas. The, the Bills lose to the Jets. The Jets win the game but lose their season because Aaron Rodgers made it through four plays before blowing out his Achilles tendon. So I'm here to admit that for purposes of harmony in the universe, I will now officially pull for the Dallas Cowboys, the Atlanta Braves, and the LA Lakers in hopes that my luck will rub off on them. So, we've got a lot to talk about this week, and I know you don't want to hear me drivel on by myself for a long time, so I'm pulling out the big guns. We're going to have my uncle Mark Wicker, the uh, Hall of Fame sports writer, join us in just a second. So, we're going to dub him the GM. So, when we come back, it'll be me, Rex the Rookie, with Mark Wicker, the GM. Okay, folks, as promised, I've got the GM, Mark Wicker, with us. This is Rex the Rookie. Uh, Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rex. Appreciate it. Uh, I, I wanted to bring a big gun in to discuss some of the stuff that's going on in my sports world. Um, let's start, I guess, with the Jets, because that's the most topical thing. Uh, they, they've got a great defense. They upgraded their receivers and running backs. And four plays into the season, Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles and is done. So I guess my question to you is twofold. One, do you still see him as a playoff contender? And two, now they've said they're going to start Zach Wilson. They're going to need somebody to be his backup. So I wanted to discuss possibilities for that as well. So maybe if you could jump in with the first part of the question is, where do you see the Jets as far as predicting the rest of their season? I think they're, 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 they are a contender because they have they still have a, a really good defense. They have uh, Wilson, who's a 
tremendous receiver, as you've seen. And Brees Hall is, is really an elite running back. I think you saw that last year before he got hurt. You really saw it Monday night. And not only him, you got Dalvin Cook and you got Michael Carter. So the and, and Zach Wilson can, you know, he's a capable guy in the option and all that stuff. So you could really see uh, a run-heavy attack, uh, a type of strategy where they they hog the ball, they keep the ball for a long period of time, they try to play twenty to seventeen or twenty to fourteen games and try to win that way because the defense is real. I mean, you've seen that in the past. Um, as far as, uh, I mean, things can go wrong, too. We, we, we aren't sold on Zach Wilson yet, but he, he did function very well the other day, and I think he's grown up quite a bit. Uh, if Aaron Rodgers is around um, to, to kind of be his sounding board, which, which we don't know if he will be or not, but if he is, then uh, that will also help him. Um, the other thing about the backup quarterback, I mean, there are plenty of them out there. I mean, you don't want to really rely on any of them, but there's, you know, there's the Colt McCoys and the Case Keenums and guys like that that you could you could uh, you know press into action, uh, you know, and, and clearly uh, that would be a real catastrophe uh, if, if Zach got hurt and the way he plays, you know, he, he could get hurt. But uh, every team in the league is, is facing that. You're always two snaps away from having your season go up in flames, and, and so you know, I, I'm sure that they'll get somebody who's capable of doing that at some point. And, you know, the, the, the problem is if the next game is against Dallas, which is probably exactly the team you don't want to play at this point, considering the way their defense looked the other night. But um, I think overall uh, they're in a very tough division and they're in a very tough conference. But I, I think they can, they can still make the playoffs. I don't know how much money I put on it, but I think they're capable of doing that. Well, uh, speaking of possible replacements, I did a little bit of research. Uh, fan-sided website, they're – Top five picks. Number five would be Matt Ryan, um, who was pretty good with the Falcons and terrible with the Colts and is 38 years old. Nick Foles. Nick Foles, another guy who was great with the Eagles and then terrible with the Colts. And the Bears. Right. And, And then we could retread the ghost of Joe Flacco, who was with the Jets last year and was absolutely terrible. Uh, Carson Wentz is one that was mentioned. Uh, he was bad with the Eagles and Washington. Um, he's younger than the rest of them. And then everybody thought that there was a chance in hell that they could get Tom Brady to come out of retirement, which I just thought was ludicrous. Uh, Matt Stafford, maybe trade with the Rams for him. I don't think they're going to do that now. I mean, he's, they, they look great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which, which came out of the blue, but uh, they're, as long as they're viable, they're not going to. I mean, he's, he's fine. I, mean, I don't think he's fine. Maybe get Jameis Winston from the Saints, although he is Mr. Interception. I like that. I mean, I, you know, he's a guy that's, that's uh, at least he's a threat. I mean, you have to, if he's quarterback, you're going to have to really, you know, play deep and, uh, and then that could open up things even more for the running attack. I mean, the other guys are kind of caretakers or, or guys that shouldn't be playing. And um, yeah, Jameis Winston's got you know uh, he's, he's, played, he's played a million, he's played a million games and he's you know he will throw an interception, but he'll also throw a good deep ball. And I'm sure uh, Wilson would be very happy with that one. Well, uh, the other name that came up that I found the most intriguing was Philip Rivers. Who, who hasn't been in the NFL in two years. Uh, he's, he's coaching. There is a Rivers that's played quarterback, but it's Gunner Rivers. That's his son, black quarterback at that uh, 
parochial school in Alabama, so I, I don't think you're going to get Philip. I mean, first of all, Philip has been beat up enough. He knows what it's like to. <laughs> it's like that commercial with Emmett Smith and all those guys. I mean, I'm sure that oh, that's every, great. Morning, every morning when he wakes up and he's not screaming in pain, he's probably happy that he's not playing. Yeah, you know, I had a conversation with a buddy the other day about what it would have looked like if the Giants had kept Phillip Rivers instead of Eli Manning. And I maintain that Rivers was the better quarterback of the two and that maybe they would have won another Super Bowl, but... You know, that's just... maybe uh, you know, it probably was a little bit better long term. It, it would be hard to be better than Eli was though during the playoffs the two years that they did win. That that is true. And Rivers generally played for better teams. I know Eli had the two Super Bowl teams, but he also played on some bad teams. And, uh, and Philip generally had a lot of weapons around him. And uh, yeah, you know, that's a good conversation. I mean, I love Philip Rivers. I think he's he's fantastic in that. Uh, the, the the consecutive games that he played really sets him apart. You know, he played an AFC Championship game once with a torn ACL. And, uh, yeah, just tough, and then and a great guy, a great leader, and, and uh, I, I was glad that he got out of the game intact. Yeah. Okay, that that's a nice segue into the New York Giants. Who there's no way to put this delicately. They got the ever living snot beat out of them on Sunday night yeah. by Dallas. My impression was they got big problems on the offensive line, but when you get beat forty nothing, I think you might have problems everywhere. What was your impression? They were down what thirteen to nothing, fifteen to nothing, whatever it was before they before they really even got a chance to get cranked up offensively. So uh, you know you but you had a terrible special teams mistake, and then you have a deflected pass. I mean, little some of it was kind of fluky, and you're, you're behind, and now you now you have to throw, and that's exactly what Dallas you to do and, and uh, it's just a game that kind of snowballed uh, yeah, the big question to me was why was Daniel Jones playing in the fourth quarter that was ridiculous and, well that yeah. was a big question because that guy got yeah. got banged around all game he was already sacked eight times at that point right. what was the point of leaving him in there but, so I, I, have, I have no idea but um, you know, I think that you know they, that's one of those games that Also, a lot of lot of wonkiness all over the NFL. I mean, as far as I could tell, Joe Burrow was playing hurt and and didn't perform at all for for uh, Cincinnati. And even the the vaunted Chiefs got bumped off. Um, so even good teams can have a bad game at the beginning of the season. I uh, I was thinking mainly that. Good God, is that Dallas defensive line good? <laughs> oh, yeah. No question. Uh, yeah, and I think maybe the only, and I'm being a bit of a homer here, but the only better defensive line in football would be that of the Jets. Yeah, no, they're really good. And that really makes the NFC a lot more interesting. Most of like people were saying before the season, you know, it's going to be Philly and San Francisco. Let's just go ahead and 
fast forward to the NFC Championship game, but I mean, if Dallas plays like that, then uh, you got to factor them in too. Of course, they won 12 games last year as well, but yeah, you were talking about those other games. You know, the Chiefs didn't have their second and third best players in that game. They didn't have Chris Jones or Travis Kelsey. Right. And the Lions played well. You know, they were, they were, you know, they went for that fourth down or they had that fake punt or whatever it was in the, um, inside their 30 yard line to start the game. And, and they were, you know, it was a huge game for them. And, and um, they, they came out with it. And, and the Chiefs had to drop a million passes for it to be, to turn out the way it did. So I don't think anybody's terribly worried about them. And to me, like I said, the biggest surprise was the Rams. Yeah. Uh, really, really beating the heck out of Seattle on the road, 30 to 13. I mean, I couldn't, most fans couldn't name you eight Rams on the, because they got so much transition from the Super Bowl team, which was only a year and a half ago. And, uh, they, uh, their kids look great, and uh, their defense played well. So, uh, I, I think that coach is pretty darn good. I'm, I'm glad they were able to retain him because he was talking about, even though he's not an old man, he was talking about retiring. Um, well, they mentioned, they mentioned this last night, and I, I didn't realize it, but I guess I should have. He is still the youngest coach. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And he's been there since 2016, you know, so. Right. Uh, shows you what kind of a gamble and, and what a... Uh, very good gamble it was for Les Snead to, to hire him when he was the offensive coordinator with the Redskins. Well, bouncing back to Detroit for a minute, Dan Campbell. Commander, Commanders, I'm sorry. Yeah. Dan, Dan Campbell in Detroit, I, I think he's a real deal too. I mean, he's he's kind of taught toughness to that team. They're, they may not be the most talented, but they're not going to quit on him. Well, they made some good picks. So Hutchinson Kidd is a really good pass rusher. And, uh, you know, Jared Goff, I think we saw it out here. If you protect him, he's pretty good. I mean, if you don't protect him, he, he, uh, he tends to lose focus. And uh, that's when the turnovers come. But they, they gave him a pocket, and he really executed it out of it. And him and uh, Amon Ross and Brown have a, have a good chemistry. So uh, they're, they're a good team. I mean, they're... They played well at the end of last season. They can put up a lot of points. And they, they had some defensive drafts that, that looked pretty good. So um, they're an intriguing team in, in that division. Again, you know, that division's in a little bit of a flux with the new quarterback at Green Bay. And, um, you know, the Vikings are certainly capable offensively. I know they're 0-2 now, but uh, that, that division is up for grabs. Yeah, I, I watched a little bit of the Green Bay game, and that kid loves for real. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can I can understand why they let Rodgers walk. Yeah, they handled that very well. They handled it just as well as they did when the far of uh, Rodgers transition came. It was time to go, and the guy was ready. And it's a it's a real testimony to the merit in uh, you know learning your position from the sideline for a couple of years. So it's, it's not true with everybody, but a guy like Jordan Love, who played at Utah State and had a lot of transitions to make. Those first couple of years on the bench learning were uh, terrific because they put him in a game his first year and he didn't look ready. They put him in a game last year and he did look ready. And then this year, um, they, you know, they didn't miss a beat. So, uh, yeah, it's a, they seem to have a good feel for handling the quarterback position. Well, one interesting thing that I read about, uh, about the Rodgers trade is um, Green Bay got three players and a second-round pick that would become a first-round pick if Rodgers played 65% of the snaps this year, 
So obviously that's not going to happen. So that's going to that's going to remain a second round pick now. Um, you know, you never know how these picks go, but it, that could be significant down the road. Well, not a lot of their offensive players are second and third round picks. That was the that was the bone that Rodgers had to pick with their GM. Was you know, want to give me some first round picks. A lot of their defensive players are first round picks, but their playmakers and like Aaron Jones, who's a really good player, he was like a third round pick. So. Uh, the only time that's important is when they're picked. After they get picked, it doesn't matter. I mean, you don't walk around with a badge saying I was a first round pick. You know, right. after that, it's it's, it's all uh, it's all up in the air, and it's just how well you can play. All right, let's move on. Uh, the, yeah. the Mets announced that they've hired David Stearns as going to be their president of baseball operations. Uh, what do you, just in general, do you think that's a good move or a mediocre move or a bad move? Well, he did a good job in Milwaukee. That's the only thing we can really judge it on. Uh, he, he did a nice job putting that team together. I, if I'm not mistaken, he hired Craig Council as manager. He was very good. And um, they've done a good job developing pitching uh, when he was there. And so uh, I'm sure it's a good move. I mean, again, you know, I mean, we talked about this last time. I'm sure you talked about it all year. I mean, you got to, it's, it's all dependent on your farm system and, you know, how well you can develop players and draft them. I mean, you look at Baltimore, how good they are now and how good they're going to be. You look at the Braves and how good they are now and how good they're going to be. I mean, it's all based on who you draft and how you develop. And, you know, uh, instead of, uh, you know, you look at, this has been a really good year to see the value of that and also the dangers of just putting together a team full of baseball cards like San Diego did. Like the Mets uh, did. Know, like messed it, like the Cardinals. I mean, the Cardinals have a lot of talent. They couldn't put it together. The White Sox have a lot of high-priced talent. They were disastrous. So it, it's a it's a really good year to see. And, and you know, today's young players are more ready to play than they've ever been. I mean, I used to see a whole lot of guys zooming up through the minor league systems and and playing. I mean, the, the Angels have a guy who they drafted in June who is. You know, he was on base his first 20 games in the big leagues, and Nolan Shonwell at first base. And he went to Florida Atlantic and got drafted in June. He was their first-round pick. He's been playing for about a month. He's playing fine. He, he hasn't even been to their spring training site yet. He doesn't even know where Tempe, Arizona is. <laughs> you know, so, um, that I mean, that type of thing is happening more and more often where you, uh, you're you getting younger players to, to come up and, and because they're more ready. I mean, they're more polished than they've ever been especially position players. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you gotta, that's how you got to do it. I think that's what David Stearns believes in because that's what they had to do in Milwaukee. Yeah. And uh, it would it'd be a good uh, way for the, for the Mets to go about their business. Well, it, to me, he goes from Milwaukee where he had very limited resources to the richest owner in, in baseball. And I think if he's going to be successful long-term, he's going to have to practice a lot of discipline because – to, to my mind, it would be too easy to go, hey, uh, Steve, could we get so-and-so? Okay, good. And, and and make the same kind of mistakes they've made. Now, that being said, Epler got some great young talent when they traded away Scherzer and Verlander and and Pham and Canna and uh, whoever else they traded. Um and he has kind of restocked the farm system with those those trade picks he got. I think 
based on the fact that Epler and and Stearns kind of have a good relationship to begin with, that may have saved Epler's job. Yeah. Um, show Walter, I'm not so sure about. Well, you know, does he really want to go through this again? I mean, he's getting on up there. Um, you know, he, he would like to be able to, to win, you know, and, and can he see them being in a situation of winning? I don't know. I mean, uh, well, in the last uh, 35 games or so, or no, 37 games, the Mets have been 28 and 9. He's got, he's got, and he's got a team full of scrubs right now, but they're playing hard for him. Yeah, there they are. Yeah. Matter of fact, if I was a team that was on the verge of making the playoffs, the last team I'd want to see is the Mets. Yeah, because you might run into single or, you know, I mean, you might run into pitchers you well, yeah, even with I mean, even with the with with Lucchese and well, Senga is good, but they just took three out of four off of Arizona. Yeah, I know, and Arizona had to have those games. So uh, the uh, yeah, those those games are dangerous because you got a talented team with with nothing to lose, and they're playing loosey goosey, and, and uh, you know they're not they're not gripping a bat too tight. You know, they're just having a good time. And those are very dangerous. That's why I never really look at the schedule. And, you know, because you hear people say that well, you know. Fifteen of the next twenty games are against teams that are under five hundred. Well, those teams can be really dangerous. So, uh, uh, but you were talking about uh, things that Cohen might do and the temptations he might have. You know, Mike Trout, who has had, who's got a no trade, has, has said that he's going to talk to the Angels after the season and have quote unquote conversations about the direction that they're headed in. And, and he sounds more open to being traded than ever. And of course, well, the flip side of that, he's he's not nearly as good a player as he was five years ago either. Uh, that'd be a mistake. Just like I think, yeah, I, I think just, just like I think that, it, that would be that would fit their their way of doing. Things. I think a bigger mistake would be to go after Otani. Yeah, I do too, because it's that's a huge number. I mean, that's not at least you know what your number is with Trout. Otani is just to be an astronomical number, and and he's not gonna be able to pitch next year anyway. So um, that's that's totally up in the air. Uh, yeah, where he's gonna go. The Angels had, they put out a press release last week saying that if Mike Trout asked them for a trade, they would be open to it. Sure. So I think both sides are of the same mind. It's just who's going to, who's going to shell out that kind of money for a 33 or 34 year old player who's got spinal stenosis and would be a hell of a good DH, but I don't know that he's your answer for everyday outfield work. Right, I mean, you know, he's not what he was, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, you look around baseball and some of these contracts that have come on the roost, you know, I mean, it's, it's a shame when you see Zach Grinke going 1-13 for the Royals, and you see Adam Wainwright struggling to, the way he has for the Cardinals, and you see Miguel Cabrera hitting 235 with three home runs for the Tigers, I mean, you know, it, it's not what you want to see out of your great players now. It's certainly not anything new. Everybody remembers how Willie May struggled at the end of his career. And remember Carl Yastrzemski, you know, taking two weeks to get his 3,000th hit or whatever it was. Yeah. That sucks. But, but it's, that's, that's the thing about baseball is that once you make those investments, you know, you can't just flush it like you do in the NFL where you have not a lot of non-guaranteed contracts. you gotta, you got to live with them, and, and you're watching your legends kind of uh, – take it on the chin and it's, it's, a, it's a burden to everybody it's a burden business wise and it's got kind of a burden on the clubhouse too 
Well, whether or not uh, Stearns keeps Showalter, I mean, there's a there's a good case to be made for bringing Craig Cancel in because he's a very good manager. Um, yeah. They fired their whole scouting department, which which that's something he's going to have to take care of. You've got the Alonzo contract looming over you. Now, they've got one more year of control after this year, but to my mind, he's the kind of guy you want to you want to you want to pull in Atlanta Braves and sew his ass up for ten years. Um, yeah, I would. I would also. Yeah. I would also advocate it's time to fire every one of the hitting coaches and bring in somebody new because the team look just lost at the place this year. It's like they've got so much data crammed in their little tiny heads that they can't figure out what they want to do when they get to the plate. I mean, you had Jeff McNeil go from hitting 326 and winning a batting title to right now he's batting about 270. Uh, Pete's down 20 points. Lindor's down 20 points. The whole team batting average is in the dumper. And, you know, I know modern analytics guys are like, ah, who cares about batting average? Well, unless you're the Savannah Bananas, you can't steal first. Oh, and, and uh, yeah, I, I do think that, you know, I, I think they look at on base, you know, uh, a lot more. Of course, there's a lot of them aren't great there either. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you got Kyle Schwarber at 43 home runs and at 195. I mean, you know, well, that's kind, of what we're, that's kind of what it's come to. You know? Kyle Schwarber's a freak of nature, though. He's hit more home runs yeah. than singles. Right. And it works. And, you know, ten, work. ten times this year he's given them one nothing lead right out of the gate. So, yeah, you know. no. I mean, I don't know any team that wouldn't want to have him, but... Yeah. I mean, Philly, I think it works because they have such a balanced lineup, but... Right, right, because uh, once he hits a home run, and now all of a sudden Trey Turner's your layoff manager. That's a pretty good deal, too, so... Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, as far as going back to Alonzo, he's been pretty much their only source of power all year until D.J. Stewart came along. Yeah, and I get the impression he's a pretty well-respected guy in the clubhouse. I know he's kind of a spokesman, and you, you hear a lot from him. And you know, he seems like a pretty sane guy in there. So uh, he might be one of those guys you want to make a franchise player. And and you know, he is what he is. He's not gonna. It's not like a guy who's got a lot of speed who's going to lose it near the end of his contract. He's he's a home runner, and that's that's what he's going to be. He's probably going to be able to do this for years. So well, his he his numbers. Be a guy you could invest in. His numbers compare very favorably to Harmon Killebrew's numbers. Right. And you're right. He's not needed for his speed. Right. He actually bats better when he's the DH, so if they find somebody that can play first base, not that big a deal. No, no. I mean, you know, he gets big hits. I mean, you see... You know, you look at... I mean, I look at all the games and see who got the biggest... who got the go-ahead hit. And a lot of times it's Alonso. You know, they'll, they'll ask go ahead. So, uh, uh, he's a, yeah, he's a guy that you could, you could kind of build around. On the other hand, you know, if somebody wants to give you a bunch of, of uh, assets for somebody like that, you'd have to listen to it. Because, you know, you, you can't have disasters like this. You can't have years like this when the expectations are so high. And, and you, when, when it happens, and you have a new guy come in to run the baseball operation, everybody's... You know, everybody's going to be under the gun. Everybody, you know, it's like it's like when you take over a business and you say, okay, everybody's going to 
let's talk briefly about one town where baseball is more rabid than New York, and that's Boston, where they just let yeah. go of Hein Bloom. And from all I've been able to glean, he wasn't given, to my mind anyway, I, I think he was given a bit of a raw deal because they brought him in to get the budget in line. And when he did, everybody wanted to kill him for trading Mookie Betts. unless he gets hurt he's a first ballot Hall of Famer chemistry between those two. Those two genuinely yeah. like each other. Well, they're both really good guys, and they both came from, from winning organizations. They both came here having one World Series, and they know what it's all about. And, and they all, they, especially Freeman, they want to play every day. You know, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're insistent. Their goal every year is to play 162 games. And, and, they, and they, have a, they have a way of affecting games in many different ways. Yeah. Well, I mean, to my mind, Hein Bloom was brought in to clean up the mess made by Dave, Dave Dombrowski. And and he did what he was told, but he still loses because in Boston, it's the Red Sox. It's, it's a little bit the Bruins and a little bit the Celtics, but it's really all about the Red Sox. That, that town dies with that team. In New York, you've got 
two teams, you've got Broadway, you've got all kinds of other distractions. Boston, they roll up the sidewalks at 8 o'clock at night. I mean, really, other than the Red Sox, that, there's nothing. Yeah. So. They, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing about Nebraska, too, I mean, you know, in his defense, he would say, look, we want to win a championship. That's what you brought me in here to do, you know. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I did the things I had to do and took a few shortcuts here and there. But, you know, you got a trophy sitting there, and that's really all that mattered. I mean, that's that's what Les Steve says with the Rams. You know, yeah, we you know, we, we got a bunch of players you never heard of now, but every time they go to work, they walk past a Super Bowl trophy, and that's, that's the name of the game. So... And then, you know, Nebraska goes to Philadelphia and they go to the World Series last year. Yeah. They go this year. You know, so. he, he's very good at what he does, but what he is is a really, yeah. really, really good salesman because yeah. he can sell owners on spending more money like nobody I've ever seen. Right. And, well, I mean, that's, you know, and, and, yeah, it's not that, I mean, all those guys that are coming up, you know, the, the Red Sox do have some pretty good young players right now. I mean, they, they, that was. You know, they weren't all signed when Bloom was there either. I mean, Nebraska's people um, helped put that together. But, uh, you know, his, his track record, you talk about Halls of Fame. I mean, you know, we look at Montreal and Detroit and uh, Boston and Philadelphia and, and the Florida Marlins. I mean, he's, every place he's gone, they've won, you know. And, uh, no, there's and, no doubt about the fan knows what he's doing, but he, he is kind yeah. of a swashbuckler financially. Yeah. And. Yeah. I, I feel badly for Bloom. Uh, from all I have read and, and watched on the MLB Network. He's beloved by anybody that worked with him. Uh, he's a smart young man, and he's going to land with somebody quickly, okay. I hope. Yeah, he'll be fine. Yeah. He'll uh, be fine. All right. Anything else in the world of sports? How do you think? Well, before we go, what do you think about the Liberty? Yeah, I don't. I have not followed them game by game, but obviously they're very, very good. I know Ionescu is a tremendous player in Oregon, and, and uh, I'm glad to see her getting some uh, commercials and stuff. People people really know who they are. And I think we talked about this last time. I think women's basketball is a lot bigger than we think it is. I think, I think it's one of those sports where the media is a little bit behind what the fans think because these these, these players are well-known and, and uh, in the cities that they play in and it's great that they, I know that they've, they've kind of loaded up on the two best teams in the league, but it's kind of neat that you have a rivalry like, you know, Las Vegas and, and the Liberty to, well, the to Liberty, kind of spice it up a little bit. Liberty, you have been the only team that have beaten Las Vegas on a regular basis. Yeah, um, bad, too. Um, um, I think yeah, so it's, it's nice that way. Their ratings are up, their attendance is up, uh, and it's going to get better because some of these college players like Caitlin Clark are beginning to develop their own identity as well. So when they get into the league, people will be following them. Well, I just think it's good for sports in general. I think uh, sure. all boats all boats float on the rising tide, and, and it's mm-hmm. fantastic for young girls to be able to look up to somebody and go, maybe I could do that someday, rather than have all the, you know, the, the limitations of previous generations. Yeah, women's basketball and then girls' basketball, the camp systems, the schools. I mean, you know, it used to be that there were about 15 teams in college basketball that were serious about women's basketball. There was not a lot of parity. That's changed completely. Um, and and uh, there's, there's a lot of teams out there that are really, really good. And um, Yeah, there, there's no doubt that the, the 
the women who come up today, they don't have any idea about the days when, you know, Pat Head, who became Pat Summit, was, you know, basically sewing her numbers on the back of her uniforms at, ten, at Tennessee or in high school because there just wasn't any support before Title IX for, for women's basketball. And I hope that they have an appreciation for the, the pioneers, but it's a totally different um, atmosphere now. You know, the WNBA has been around a long time now. When it started, it was a real radical concept. And not many people thought it would be, uh, it would take off. But, you know, they're on ESPN all the time and, and uh, the ratings are up, their attendance is up, and, and the quality of play is up. Well, yeah, that I was about to say, it's a good product. I mean, it's, it's yeah. good basketball. Yeah, NBA players really like watching WNBA games. I mean, I've, I've been to Sparks games where, you know, Russell Westbrook will show up and sit on the front row, and, and, and uh, they like they like the competitiveness. Because, and then a lot of them have daughters who are playing and coming up like, you know, Kobe's daughter would have been a great player. I mean, I assume would have had a chance to be a great player. And and all of that is happening, and, and uh, it's, it's a real cool thing to see, and it's... Uh, well, just like I think it's very, very good for U.S. tennis that young Coco Goff won the yeah. U.S. Open. I mean, she's now the face of tennis in the United States because we're, yeah. you know, for God, almost 20 years we have really had nobody to pull for, uh, unless you wanted to pull for somebody from a from another country. And then soccer too. I mean, you know, the, the what the those teams with Mia Hamm and Brandy Chastain did. I mean, they generations of players. You know, have come along, and uh, you know it's it's uh, it's great. You know, especially when you when you compare it to other countries, we're way ahead of most countries across the board, and and what we've done with women's sport. Well, you know, it was a shocker to me when I was watching the uh, the final of the women's open, and they made a big deal of going. This is the fiftieth year where the women have made exactly what the men have in prize money, and it's due to Billie Jean King, and they had Billie Jean King there. Um, fifty years. Yeah, yeah. She uh, she was way out front. You know, she's she's one of the great she's one of the great figures in the history of American sports. There's no question about. And uh, she's uh, people in Long Beach here are very proud of her. They name the library after her. They name all kinds of things after her. She's a she's a favorite daughter of the staff. Yeah, as she should be. All right. Well, I think I've covered everything I want to cover. Is there anything that you want to talk about before we wrap this up? No. Uh, you know, looking forward to college football. It's heating up. And, uh, you know, we've got not many great games this week, but uh, there's a lot of good stories going on there. And then, of course, the baseball playoffs are coming. The Ryder Cup is coming. Um, you know, NBA uh, and NHL will be shortly. Uh, pretty soon we'll have those, those weeks in which all four will be going on Yeah. And, uh, but 
amazingly and magically before the first Monday night game of the year, they got it settled. So I guess that was just a coin. Well, <laughs> glad they got that fixed. Um, yeah, yeah, me too. All right. Well, it's always a pleasure. Uh, thank you for your sure. expertise and your time. And uh, I hope we can talk again sometime. Anytime. Enjoy it. All right. I appreciate it. Folks, right, this, is, this is Rex the Rookie signing off. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening.